Hi, I'm Mel. And I'm Savs. And we're going to take you away from the play. Welcome back to Away From The Play, everyone. Thank you for listening. Uh, So sorry that we didn't release an episode last week. We ran into some technical issues. Anyways, we decided that we want to come back this week, of course. And logically, last week, we would have released a non-women's hockey episode. So this week, we would release a Women's Hockey Monday. So we're going to keep with that. And we are super excited because we spoke to Cassandra Poudrier, who used to play for Les Canadiens de Montréal of the CWH. Um, and we, you know, we recorded this episode six months ago. So it was, I believe it was like our first, one of our first episodes. I mean, I feel like lately we've been saying that a lot, but, um, you know, it's one of our, the first episodes we recorded. So of course, uh, in our conversation with Cassandra, we don't really address what's been going on uh, in women's hockey recently. Uh, I think there's been no shortage of news, right, Mel? Yeah, I mean, things kind of exploded, obviously, between Barstool and the end-up and by proxy, just, you know, all of women's hockey. and um, It consumed so much of my time last week reading Twitter. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I don't know, it's a complicated issue from... Well, it seems for me it's quite simple. I don't really like bar- Barstool. I don't think it would, we should be aligning with them, but I don't know. Clearly, not everyone kind of sees the same, I guess, downfalls to aligning with that brand as I do. But mm-hmm. um, definitely, I think there are a lot of discussions that need to be had. Um, and you know what? Like, it's been a week, right? So the story's still unfolding. Um, but, you know, we want to kind of spread some joy and, you know, share this episode with Cass because it was really fun. Yeah. Uh, she off. retired, I think, like two years ago, right, from hockey. And now, you know, she kind of talked about her transition from being a professional hockey player to kind of working in the everyday day to day life. So that was pretty fun. Yeah. And I mean, that's difficult to do, especially like Cass kind of like exited out, you know, also because of concussions and stuff, which, you know, when an injury is kind of the cause of your change in or your transition out of hockey, it's also, I think, adds a, another layer of difficulty mm-hmm. to it. But it's so much harder because you yeah. kind of have to accept co- the consequence of something that you didn't want to, you didn't want your career to end that way, right? Yeah, but I, I can does anyone ever want it to end, right? <laughs> but that's true. That's Cass true. is um, the executive director at Maison des Champions, which is a non-for-profit, which essentially helps people kind of transition out of uh, their careers. But they mainly focus on like uh, athletes, you know, at an elite level, ex-military veterans and, you know, CEOs and, you know, real like leaders in in business and you know people that have been like so used to being on and basically working all the time how do you transition Mm -hmm. kind of I don't want to say down because it's it's like I mean I guess cast did kind of address it but it's it's a journey you know like you've been on all the time how do you kind of find joy in relaxing (laughs) yeah yeah we hope you really enjoyed this episode I think it's 
really important to talk about because it's kind of inevitable everyone's gonna hit this point and you know there's not a lot of resources out there to kind of help you out of it you have all these resources to build you up as an athlete but yep. how, how does who kind of hold your hand hold your hand to to guide you out of it so we hope you enjoy this episode So excited this morning, we have my good friend, Cass Poudrier, ex-teammate of mine, ex-enemy of mine at Cornell. <laughs> we used to man opposite blue lines, and uh, every once in a while I would rest a puck, and uh, well, I had to get, try and get around Cass, and it never worked, <laughs> but we did our best. So Cass, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing during this quarantine and pandemic? Are things well? Thanks for uh, for the invite, Mel. Um, yeah, things are actually very going very well. Um, for me, life hasn't changed that much um, during this pandemic in the sense that I was already working from home. Um, and so the difference is more like what's happening outside of my home than what's happening inside. Um, but otherwise, I'm doing very well. So it, it's been two years since, like, you decided to retire um, from professional hockey. You and I used to play together with Les Canadiens. Um, just how has that transition from being an athlete to work life been? Um, it's actually been um, great and a challenge at the same time. Um, and I would say that the great part has been because I prepared it. Um, so prior to deciding that I was going to retire, um, I kind of knew that it was coming for me. Um, I didn't know exactly when I knew it was somewhere in the near future. Um, and so when I got cut from the national team back in 2016, like something changed for me and my relationship to my sport. Um, I knew that, you know, there was no more option for the Olympics. And I knew that if I wanted to live happily um, after my sport, I needed to do some work on myself to understand who I was outside of a hockey player. And so because I I worked on that part prior to that, when uh, when I got injured back in 2018, um, I was I was ready to say, okay, you know, that's that's enough injuries. That's enough. I'm ready to do something else. And now is a good timing. So um, so it's been great in the sense that I had a support system. I had people going through the same thing as me at that same time. Um, and it's also been a challenge a bit too in, in the sense that, you know, there's so many patterns that we have as athletes that you have to learn to translate into the work life, into, you know, life after sports. And so it's always a challenge to, to be able to observe yourself and see those patterns happen and see how they can be sometimes good for you but also sometimes it can be hurtful in the sense that you don't need to be an overachiever in everything you do um so so yeah I guess that's what I would say about the about those two years what are some of those patterns that you notice like the ones that either worked for you or or didn't work for you that you had to kind of adapt into your Mm -hmm. everyday life now yeah well some of those patterns that I had to adapt is this idea um, you know, being a student athlete and just being a high level athlete, like I thought that like I couldn't stop doing something until it was perfect. You know, so I'd be I'd be that athlete that just, you know, stay in the gym and just push the limit or be at school and, you know, be sitting at my desk and just like sit there for like 10 hours straight to just write that essay until it was perfect. You know, there was no mm-hmm. like 
you know, you can take a rest and you can continue tomorrow and it will probably be better. Um, and so there was that one part where like learning to rest at a proper time and learning to understand that if you do slow down once in a while, you're actually going to be better afterwards. So that was one of the big thing. Um, also coming from a sport, uh, team, sorry, team environment, um, you know, from a young age, you're told that the most important thing is the team, right? So you learn to be selfless. You learn to to put everything on the line for the team, and to some extent, that's that's what you need to do, right? You don't you don't ask the question, oh, should I go in the corner or should I block that shot? Like it's like, no, you block that shot and you go in that corner. There's no question being asked. But when you transition into the real life and and just in general, like you need to learn to also take care of yourself. And, and for me, that was a, a limit when I was a, still a player because I thought, you know, whenever I was injured, whenever there was something, it was always like, how can I get back on the ice as quickly as possible? And sometimes sometimes I'd get back on the ice before I was even ready to, to be back, you know, and that wasn't good for my health. And so how do I learn to be a team player while also taking care of myself as an individual is like an everyday challenge. And I can see that in my work. Like sometimes like people will schedule meetings at times that don't make sense for me or at times where I had schedule, you know, to be with my family. And then my first reaction will be, oh, well, if the team said it has to be done this way, it has to be done this way. But, you know, taking a step back is like, no, no, as an individual, like my perspective is also valid. And I can say, you know what, this is not good for me. Um, and then I can set boundaries and, and learn to be a good team player by also taking care of myself. Right. I, I like to use the analogy of a plane. Right. You should always put your mask first before you put other people's mask on. Right. And so how can you translate that into your everyday life? So those are a few things that I've worked on since uh you know, retiring two years ago. Well, kudos for you for just really having like the foresight to to kind of plan for that transition because mm-hmm. it is very difficult. Like after college, I moved to Montreal and I didn't play hockey for two years. I essentially retired after my college mm-hmm. career. A, I mean, and you know, Safia and I, we've talked about this on the podcast before because like I didn't really see a future in for women's hockey like mm-hmm. in my life I was like you know I'm going to focus on my education and you know it just just seems to be the path for women which is a whole other tangent which is quite sad you know and even for you Cass you know like you got cut from the national program and that's where you see you're like okay well you know the pinnacle is unattainable at this point you know I've got to think about transitioning when you know it'd be nice if we could just play professional hockey and you know mm-hmm. have a salary etc but Cooters for you for having the foresight to plan because I wasn't ready. Like when I when I moved to Montreal, like new city, new town, uh, new program, no more hockey. Like I felt like really isolated because and like I wasn't used to having so much time on my hand. Like in college, it's like you're so busy. It's like workout, work, whatever, practice. Your your schedule is like packed every day. That like. There was no time for like this self-care, you know, you're just like, Mm -hmm. I just got to grind through the schedule and it becomes such habit that when I moved to Montreal, like I had so much time on my hand and no one was telling me like Mm -hmm. what, where to go, when to go. I was like, what, like I felt, I felt 
unproductive because I would find myself like just sitting doing something enjoyable like reading a <laughs> leisure book that wasn't like you know for school and I was like I'm not allowed to be doing this and I like at yeah. one point I was started jogging and I like I was running too much because I was just running because I was bored. <laughs> like, I was like, I can't be in my house. I'm not allowed. Like, mm-hmm. so it, it took a long time to to transition with that. So, you know, since we're kind of already talking about it, and um, mm-hmm. can you explain to us a little bit your job since it, it really is sort of this this liaison for athletes exiting sort of their professional careers into, I guess, civilian life, we could say. <laughs> yeah. um, so can you just tell everyone, you know, about your work, about Can You, and really kind of give us the pitch? Because mm-hmm. I think it's excellent. When I heard of it, I I was like, everyone should have at least kind of a crash course into, like, your mm-hmm. post-athletic career. Yeah. Thanks. And and it's so true what you're, you're saying, just to, uh, you know, go on about what you were saying about this, like, idea that, like, all of a sudden we have time and we do something enjoyable and we think I'm not allowed to be doing this I should be you know going 100 mile an hour into something and it should I should be tired right now I should be out of the breath right and that's something that we hear a lot in our work um and so what I do for work is I work for this firm called Canu um and uh, we have two branches um that's how I I like to explain it because a lot of time when I explain what I do for a living some people get confused Um, so we have the corporate side of thing, uh, where we work with management teams and, uh, we help them, um, kind of a, a team building, if you, if you like, in a way, uh, we do team building with them, but more in the perspective of like, it's not about like you go through something together. So you go and do an activity and then it's over. It's more about like, we live something together and then we make sense of it and then we try to find ways to translate it into our workplace. So we do that with like corporate, like big businesses that want to learn to be a better management team to then be able to, you know, work um, together in face of crisis. So for example, um, we work with the company that um, had faced a lot of challenges back in 2019 and they were doing much better. And then we had a touch point with them a couple of weeks ago and we, we asked them like, how was it for you guys during the pandemic? And they said, you know what? It was actually a springboard for us. Like all the work we had done uh, prior to this made us ready for what happened during this pandemic, this quarantine. So they were, they were ready to go because they had done the work individually and as a team. Um, so that's like the first part that we do. And then the second part is called La Maison des Champions, which is um, the program that you were referring to, uh, Mel. It's, uh, so initially back in 2017, when the first court started, um, I was part of it. And La Maison des Champions was a program just for, for athletes that were at a stage in their career where they were um, questioning whether or not they either wanted to keep um, doing their sports or they were, you know, taking a break because they had injuries or some of them had babies, um, you know, and they were like just questioning this relationship to sports. And so that's the second part of, um, of Canu. And the big change before I tell you more about what La Maison des Champions is, is that we're realizing that that its mission, which is to transform the transition experience for high level or high overachiever people, 
is that it needs to live on itself. And so during this quarantine, what I've been doing is I've been working on creating a non-for-profit with this program. And so we're taking it out of the business and we're creating a non-for-profit with it. That's amazing. And, uh, yeah. And so that's been like the big, uh, the big thing that I've been doing in the past few months. And um, what we realize is that not only do athletes go through this phase where they question like, should I still be doing my sports? And then when they decide to retire, they stop. And then they have those same questions as you, as you did before, where you were saying, Oh, you know what? Like I shouldn't be doing this or I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so used to being so busy. So I'm just going to do the same thing and I'm going to get four jobs. Cause you know, <laughs> who am I if I'm not busy? Right. And, yeah. and people around you are, are praising you for, for being that person that's so involved and everything. Right. But a lot of time they don't take into consideration what's happening for you internally, right? As yeah. though like, you looked like you were so calm and peacefully reading a book inside your head, what you were like is like, <laughs> I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> right? And exactly. And so, and so the program now, um, the next cohort, which will be starting in August, will include um, people from the military, so veterans, um, we will have athletes and we will have CEOs um, that are either like questioning whether or not they're like ready to retire or they're about to sell their businesses or they sold their businesses and now they're like, well, what do I do now? Um, and we realize that these three groups of people all have the same questioning, right? Like, who am I if I'm not getting results, right? They're very attached to their result. Who am I if I'm not my title, right? A lot of times, like, I, I used to introduce myself, like, I am a hockey player. Like, I, I was yeah. what I was doing, right? It was not like I play hockey. It's I am a hockey player. And then the first thing, you know, when you go back to your family during Christmas time is, oh, how's the hockey season? How's the team this year? You know, any chance to, to win the playoffs this year and, and things like this, right? So all of a sudden, yeah. you take that, that part away from you. And, and the big question is, who am I now? And it's the same thing for, for someone from, from the army. What they realize is that they go to war and it's all about, you know, protecting the country. It's all about, you know, receiving orders and everything. And now you got to go back to civilian life and, and, and you question it. How do I do that? And there's so many patterns, right? And so, and so the program basically works over a period of a year. And it's about, you know, we, we call it learning to... Uh, kind of go down the mountain, right? We live in a society where it's all about like going up the mountain and how fast can you go up the mountain and then how long can you stay <laughs> at the top of the mountain, right? That's, yeah. that's the kind of society that we live in. And yeah. we're praised when we're doing well, like, oh my God, you went to that school. Oh my, you must be, you know? And, and that's the kind of society that we live in. But if you really look at people hiking, <laughs> you train to hike to go up, but you also have to train to go back down because it's just as dangerous. Yeah. Right. And so and so we believe that this program is is in a way like training to go back to a, a normal life, but a life where you are comfortable with who you are as a person. Right. And and oftentimes, like you're annoyed when people are like not talking about your resort, things like this is because you as an individual are not comfortable with what's actually going on for you. So basically, this this program is is over the, the period of a year and you're with individual with kind of the same background as yours but also very different 
and and it's just like a a leadership development program where people really do an individual uh, work uh, inside a collective. Um, so I kind of took many roads to get to this point, but um, yeah, I'll let you guys talk now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was so great. That's that's basically your uh, your hike. You you mm-hmm. hiked all the way up there to to take on all these roles, and it's crazy because everything you're describing is for you know athletes and and for veterans and whatnot. But a lot of what you're saying, I think. A lot of our listeners will be able to relate. I know that I can relate to it and I'm not either one of those things. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think, like you said, you know, our society is based on results. It's yeah. it's not about focusing on the process in any way. And we're all defined a little bit by what we achieve instead of like who we are. And those are definitely questions that I've had in my life where, mm-hmm. you know, with when we were all in Likan Azen, it was insane. Like, we're all juggling a thousand different things happening at the same time because we don't really have a choice. And even now when I, when I was, you know, with the rocket for the season, at least I was able to focus on that one thing, but it was a bit like what you said. It's hard to feel like, Oh, this is okay that I'm not running on adrenaline today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, you feel like something's wrong with you. And I feel like the pandemic in many ways, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people have lost their jobs. So yeah. hopefully the the period isn't too harsh financially for a lot of people, although I know that it is. But hopefully mm-hmm. that people can can have a different approach on life. So what I wanted to ask you is, you know, given that I mean, I'm able to relate to this and I'm not, you know, I'm not in the army. <laughs> I'm not an yeah. athlete. But, you know, for how does your approach kind of um, is your approach similar uh, with people who are either athletes or veterans and then people who are already kind of in you know the the everyday the everyday world you know someone like me someone who just mm-hmm. works a regular job and has to juggle a thousand different things happening whether it's personal or or work related are there any similarities in your approach any differences uh, that you can talk about yeah um <clears throat> there are similarities and and one of the big thing that you know we we like to to say is that a lot of time right people think oh you that kind of person is is an overachiever and i put overachiever here in you know quotation mark but it's not about whether someone defines you as that is whether you define yourself as this right and it's this idea like like you said like for me like and and i'm talking as you um you said like for me like i'm running all over the place i'm i'm involved i'm busy i'm running on adrenaline and right and and if you're someone that defines yourself by those results if you're someone that's driven by okay i got to get that next level and i got to get to that next job and then but there comes a point where like what's next right is another job and another job and it's it's never enough and to the point where, like, at one point, like, you've managed to do all these things, but you've never enjoyed any of them in the sense that, like, you've never celebrated achieving any of them. Because if you're living in this pace where it's all about, okay, I did this, now let's get to the next thing, then you're never celebrating. And then it comes to a point where you look back and you're like, wow, I was climbing, but I never looked around and I never mm-hmm. looked at what was happening exactly. for me, Right. And so, and and this idea is not about like who we define as people that need to slow down is more like, do you feel that something inside of you is, is changing? Like for me, like I knew something was changing when, when I got cut from the national team, because I, there was like this, this questioning, okay, why am I doing this? Like, like 
all of a sudden there was no more top of the mountain, right? For me, that top of the mountain was the Olympics. And it was like, doesn't matter like what's happening. Like, let's go. Like my mom at one point was sick and it was like, even my whole family was involved in this. Like my mom was sick and she was telling me, no, no, you got to stay like at, at the gym. Like you got to stay at school. You got to keep training. You got to, my whole family was like, yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, but what kind of life is this if it's all about getting results and medals and, and mm-hmm. doing the next big thing, right? There yeah. comes a point like you, you won't be able to keep on doing this. And <clears throat> and so one of the things that we, we like to say, and that came from my uh, my boss, Maxim Bola, who wrote an article back in 2016 during the Rio Olympics. Um, it's called Pour être bon, faut être bien. So be well. And then be be well first, be great second. And it's in this idea that like, you know, fine. Like if you want to be about like, you know, attaining results and everything, fine. But how can you make sure that you're well doing it so that you can actually enjoy it? And it's this hypothesis that if you're well, you're going to be even better, right? Mm-hmm. But it should be about being well first and then the results will come, right? And so, and he wrote this article after the 2016 Olympics because, um, what was his name? Like he was, basically that was his way of telling like the, the media, like, why are you just focusing on, on the medals? Why are you just focusing on this and not on how it's happening for the athlete? Like what it's the actual journey. And he was basically telling the society, like, we need to stop just praising the results and start looking at the individual behind it and so to to answer like back to your question like what do we say to someone that you know is not necessarily from sports or from the military or like you know the professional world but is someone that's constantly like running around like one of the questions we we like to ask is why are you running around like mm-hmm. what is it that you're feeling that you think that you got to be running around right? Like what's at the root of it? What's the fear? Like for me, when I was like, when I had like three jobs and I was coaching and I was playing hockey, like I was scared of being a nobody. I was, I was scared that like, you know, people were just going to forget about me. So it was about like, you know, just be involved everywhere. So, you know, there's people around you and then you don't feel this loneliness because of the questioning. Right. Um, Right. So like, it's, it's about questioning why you're doing it and taking a time to to question it. Yeah, and I think not enough people take that time to question. Everyone just just kind of on the go all the time, Mm -hmm. which is, again, Mm -hmm. a byproduct of the society that we live in. It's just fueled by results. Mm -hmm. And Mel has a question. So before she she goes on to ask you, I just wanted to add, like, (laughs) what you were saying about just enjoying the process and, like, not the results. A number of times, like, I've been asked this past year when I got, my gig with the rocket I was just I was a coordinator Mm -hmm. in communications and I finally found that stability that had I had been looking for for a very long time Mm -hmm. and everybody kept asking me but like okay but what's next and like where do you see yourself and I'm like and I felt bad for just thinking in my head like I honestly don't know what's next but I'm just happy right now (laughs) so Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna live through this and see what happens because this is pretty awesome but it's always everyone has that mentality of like, okay, but what's next? Okay. And I was just like, for once in my life, I don't have to like constantly look mm-hmm. everywhere to see, okay, how can I, how can I get to the next step? You know, what else can mm-hmm. I do? I can just finally just 
live and be and be fine with everything. So I definitely think everything that you just said is, is it's so true. And, you know, it'd be great for, mm-hmm. for everyone to kind of take a step back and, and look at what, why they do what they do. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're fully comfortable, like you said, like I was finally at a good balance. Like I had found like where I wanted to be and, yeah. and, and a good way to know if you're like fully comfortable with it is when those people do ask you like okay but what's next and you're like you know what this is good enough for now and I don't know what's next and if and if like you're feeling like you're emotional like your your body like you know you feel it like you're fully comfortable like mm-hmm. people can ask you whatever they want like you're just gonna be like yeah yeah but I and I know for myself like you know especially after like being done with the national team and everything it was like people would ask me okay but what's next or when I was graduating and everything was happening at the same time I was graduating and my plan for the Olympics was just gone all of a sudden like it was all within like a couple of weeks and every time people would ask me this like I felt like I was gonna throw up yeah. <laughs> and that was like the biggest sign that I was not okay with it right but after that once I started working and questioning it and you know understanding it like people could be asking me and I was like I don't know and I was actually feeling good saying it I was like okay you know what I'm actually in control of this situation I'm at actually at a good point but you're right like you were finally at a good point and people are like but what's next as if like it's never enough <laughs> yeah the, the mountain always gets higher yeah um, what, what I was gonna say is like I love the hiking analogy and coming down mm-hmm. because you know when you're climbing a mountain to get there you could literally just push if you could push and grind you're gonna find your way up like there, there doesn't need to be control we're like when you're coming down the mountain you need to go slow and every step needs to be thought out, you know? Mm-hmm. You can't just run down the mountain. You're, it's going to be too fast and you're going to, you know, face plant and then you're going to tumble down the mountain. And <laughs> so I think that analogy is so great because, like, that's what I think athletes and, and, you know, I would assume, like, high professionals and veterans feel as well. It's just, like, we're so used to just push, push, push. And eventually I'm going to get somewhere and it's going to be a little bit further than I was yesterday. Mm-hmm. but coming down and and you know maybe slowing down is the mm-hmm. hardest part um and you know staffs I could relate with you too like after I finished my master's um I like did my bike trip across Canada you know I was like I, I want to take a break and it was such an amazing experience because like I didn't have like the only goal was like to go a little bit further mm-hmm. today than I did yesterday yeah. without like without setting these huge expectations like I have to ride 100 kilometers today and I was like I'm just gonna ride till I'm tired <laughs> yeah, like 25 exactly. kilometers that be you'll be like mm-hmm. well that was it and it was just it was so nice it really put things into perspective like Cass you were saying like you know with sports it's like it's never enough because like you train you have your game you win okay or you lose whatever well, there's another one the next way game. So, like, mm-hmm. you come down real quick. You're like, okay, next thing. Mm-hmm. This is the next game. And then the next game. And then it's like, okay, playoffs. And then it's like championship. And then, like, you know, at SLU, we take a week off. And then it's like, okay, full spring training for next season. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's, like, always this gratification. And it's like when you transition into your career, like, these goals are, like, longer term a lot of the times, like, you don't get that immediate, like, gratification. 
and also like the path isn't so clear like for hockey right cats it's like hey well like be good get a scholarship get on the national team go to the olympics like there's very steps yeah. that you can see if you don't know what you want to kind of do in your life like you haven't chosen a profession that has like such a clear path it's very hard i also had a hard time with people like i came back from my bike trip and it was very like i think it was very cleansing for me mm-hmm. in the sense i got back people were like hey what are you doing and i was like i get went home and then meg hewings called me she's like hey you're gonna play with the Canada Zen again and i was like i don't know when's tryouts she's like saturday this was like monday <laughs> <laughs> i'll let you know tomorrow like tuesday comes and i'm like hey dad i need you to drive me to montreal thursday he goes what He's like, you have a job? Like, where are you going to live? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just, like, going to crash into my couch. I'm going to try and play hockey, maybe. And, like, you know, I played hockey, and I got a job at, like, North Face. And, like, people were like, you have a master's? Why are you working at North Face? I'm like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And I'm enjoying this. I'm just playing hockey. And, you know, like, this is okay for me right now. I'm like, and I think, I don't think if I did my trip, I would have felt so comfortable with that I would have felt pressure being like what am I doing like you know I have a master's degree I need to be at the top somewhere where I'm like I don't want to work retail where I loved my job at North Face <laughs> so yeah. long-winded um <laughs> question I guess at this point but so I wanted to know like what happened I guess in your life that I guess made you so aware of how much you have to kind of prepare for this transition like was was there an event like a moment déclencheur, or like mm-hmm. is, did you meet Maxim like how how did you like yeah I don't um, know so self-aware that you you were gonna need to prep for this transition so I was um and and there's so many good things you said Mel that we could just keep going on this conversation forever but I guess <laughs> we'll just have to go and get a beer now that we're allowed to do that um, <laughs> But yeah, how did I become, I was not aware. Um, my, um, and I like to call it this way, like my first concussion into this transition and, and it's concussion, it's not a real one, it's an analogy, was um, when I got this phone call from uh, Mel Davidson um, and it was two weeks. So it was like mid-May uh, 2016. So two weeks before um, graduating. So two weeks before graduating and five minutes before that phone call, my, my path was clear. Like I, I was doing well with the national team. Like I had gotten my feedbacks from, you know, tournament and, you know, it seemed like I was going back to Montreal to train and, and try to, to make its essentialization for, for the Olympics of 2018. And so five, five minutes later, um I get a phone call and it's a three minute phone call and it's basically like how's the weather over there and then it's like well thanks for your services but we no no longer need you and and that was it like I never knew why it was just like you're not on that list anymore and thank you uh and I was like what so two (laughs) weeks later I was graduating and it was all these questions okay well what are you doing what are you next and then you're like well until two weeks ago I knew what I was doing now I have no idea so then I go back to Montreal and and you know I I had packed my stuff at Cornell and I get back to Montreal and it's like June 1st and it's like all of a sudden it hit me cuz before that I was just like in the mode like packing my apartment, graduating, you know, and driving back and everything and then all of a sudden I'm in Montreal and I just I just get sick. 
like I start coughing, I start like I'm not doing well, fever, everything, like I'm bed sick, everything. And to a point, my mom's like, okay, we're going to go to the hospital. And they're like, okay. And they're like, you got tonsillitis and they give me antibiotics. And it's just like, nothing's working. I go back and they're like, okay, we, they found tumor on my throat. And it's just like, this like mess, like for a month, like I'm just sick and sick. Like it's so like my body was like literally like shutting down, like from this stress that was just happening. Like I was so identified to what I was doing that all of a sudden, like this wasn't there anymore. And I was just like, Oh my God. And, but I wasn't able to say, Oh my God, at this point, like it was, my body was telling me like, you need to take a break. And I was like, oh my God. So it took like a month and a half before I could start even training. And and even like just a little bit of training was too much. Like it was like I was out of breath. I was so I was like, okay, clearly something is happening. <laughs> so um I knew from I don't know, I knew from like the services I had gotten that I had access to people at DINS um that could that could help me out. And obviously my first reflex, like being you know, this person that's just used to doing one more thing. Um, I went to the INS looking for help with my, my CV, like my, uh, you know, uh, and, and I, it was about like getting a job and they were like, you know, you, you also have access to psychologists and, and things like this. I was like, Oh, okay. And they're like, you know, it's covered the fi- the first five times. And I was like, all right, like, I guess, I guess I'll go, like, clearly something's happening with me. But my first reflex was to going and get help to get the next big job, because I thought, you know, I'm gonna be okay when, (laughs) when I have this job, when I'm doing something, right. And so I ended up starting to go to therapy. And, um, and so I went a couple times, and then I went back to the INS with uh, Sophie Brassard, who was the, the person and still is the person in charge for for athletes that are at like, this phase where they want to keep on looking at schools or, or things like this. Um, and then it's at that point, she was like, Oh, you should meet Max. Like he's starting this program for, for athletes that like are at the same stage as you. And I was like, Oh, okay. So I, um, I talked with Max. I was like, Oh, this seems like a really cool program. And, and at this point, like, I, I didn't have much money because, you know, I had just finished school. I didn't really have a job yet. I had an apartment to pay. So I was like, I can't really afford this program. Um, but luckily, the Foundation of Athlete and Excellence and Game Plan were paying for this program if you had, yeah. like, received bursaries from them and everything. So I was eligible for, for the program to be paid for. And I was like, you know what, I'll start – I'll start it. So I did two things at the same time. Like I was going to therapy uh, with like just a psychologist by myself. And I was doing this collective program too, like collective in the sense that like, you know, there's people going through the same thing and it's about like workshops and, and activities and talking to other people and just listening to other people. Like a lot of things that I learned were from listening to other people's stories. Um, and that's how I kind of became more and more aware um, from doing that and then from working for Kenya after finishing the program. But at first, I was really not aware. And I think that's why I'm, I'm so passionate about continuing to work and making this nonprofit. 
non-for-profit work is because there's so many people that are going through the same thing as I did, but have no idea that's what they're going through. Yeah. They they just think it was tonsillitis. Like, I'm sorry. It was not just that. Like, (laughs) really, my identity was just shattered and I was just like, oh. Your right? body was like, you need to, you need to exactly. do something. <laughs> exactly. My body was just like, Cass, what the hell is happening to you? Right. But yeah. there's so many people that, that have those things happening to them, but just don't know that's what's happening. So I guess that's how I became more and more aware of it. It's just because it hit me so hard yeah. that like, you know, I had to do the work. And a lot of times, like some people will be like, will you know have this job lined up like he said like you were able to do that bike uh trip and have this step back and say you know I'm not just gonna throw myself into a job that I'm gonna hate and gonna quit in a month yeah like I'm gonna take the time to find the job that I want and he had that step back but so many people think that they're gonna be okay when when they have this job when they have this family when they have that, you know, it just kind of hit them 20 years later. And we have people that have been part of the program that didn't do the work when it was first happening, that 20 years later, they're like, why am I still like this? And yeah. then they're like, you know what, maybe I should take a step back now. So I guess it, it came from having no choice but to ask for help. Um, because before that, I, I thought it was normal to, to just want more every day. And people were praising me for that, right? <laughs> we yeah. live in a society where you're doing well. Like, keep it up. You got to do more. I know. Um, well, I clearly still have that podcast or that problem because I'm like, I have my <laughs> podcast. I work. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, more, more, more. But <laughs> we still have room in the program if you want. <laughs> I, I might have to join, but it's, it's, it's. It's difficult, and I'm I'm so thankful that you guys are providing this service to individuals mm-hmm. because, like you said, you just it it doesn't seem like it should be an issue, right? Like after mm-hmm. you're like, I've done harder things. Like how is doing <laughs> nothing difficult? And well, I'm just curious, and I don't know if you can speak to it because these are people's like individual experiences. But mm-hmm. do you find people's transition different if they were an individual athlete or a team athlete? Like, you know, you mm-hmm. spoke to basically how it's very different when you're. Yeah. It's like not about you. It's very selfless. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you just want to give, give, give. And how is that transition for an individual athlete, or maybe? Yeah. A, I mean, military is very team oriented as well. Yeah, um, exactly. But like you know a solo let's say a gymnast whatever solo athlete how, how mm-hmm. is their transition is it any different or everyone seems to have sort of the same emotional um, like I guess <laughs> r- ride they have to go through. yeah no it's it's actually um so it's actually the same in the sense that it's your identity that you've built around your sport right um and and again, I'm here. I'm speaking about the sport part because we haven't done uh, a cohorts with other groups yet. So maybe you know, in a year, we can talk about it. But in terms of sports, um, it's an interesting question. And and Max, who uh, founded La Maison des Champions in Canu, was uh, an Olympian um, in canoeing, uh, individual sport. And we often um, start like our workshop with introducing ourselves, and we like to contrasts both of our transition and so in my like one of the main thing from my background in the team sport is it's all about the team right it's 
you are there for the team. You are uh, a mean to an end. Um, and in the individual sport, what we've noticed and what's happened for him is that it's all about your needs. Like, you, what can you do? Like, what is the athlete needing in this time and space that's going to make him better? So for Max, it's like, okay, got to get a car, get a sponsor, get a car. You need this. It's all about you, right? So it's like yeah. family was all around, like, this this person right it was right around him and everything right so the difference is how for him it's learning that you know there are other peoples with with needs around him and how can like how can they work in cohesion and not just about your need and for him his first realization in terms of that was um so he went to the 2000 olympics and he was trying to um qualify for the 2004 and between 2000 and 2004, there was a change in the rules for boats and the width regulation changed a lot. And basically, uh, when you were in single, you were now like canoeing on like a two by four. It was so okay. narrow. And for him, the way that he was, you know, standing on his boat, like his foot was making the boat um, rock. Exactly. So he wasn't able to do it, you know, individually at, at, after the 2000 Olympics. So his first respect was, well, I'm going to find the next best Canadian and we're just going to, you know, paddle in twos because the boat is wider. And if you're good and I'm good, that's it. Right. It yeah, should yeah. work. But they were putting two individual athletes together, which was all about like, let's get to the goal. So they were really good when it was going well. But when it wasn't going well, they couldn't speak. They didn't know how to work as a team. Right. Yeah. And so that became very obvious for him. So as much as for me was like, if it's good for the team, it's good for myself. And for him, it's it has it's good for me, then it's good. That's it. Yeah. So he was very aware of his, his own needs, and I was very aware of everyone else's needs but mine. So for him, it was kind of the opposite as me, but this this main idea of transitioning and learning that you are not your sport, you are not your result, you are not your role. That's the same thing for for you know, for both of us. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, the contrast that we like to, to put forward. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so funny how you say like, you are not your sport because like you, you unintentionally, I guess, feel like that's all you are, even though if you don't like admit it to yourself, Mm -hmm. like, you know, like I, I always knew in college, like I had a lot of other interests, you know, I was academically mm-hmm. driven you know I had friends outside of sports yeah. so I thought I was like a well-rounded person but like Same. when I, I came back like I left and I came to Montreal and like you know no more hockey it really hit me I was like wait what am I good at now you know like mm-hmm. I, I think I loved the idea that like I was excellent at something mm-hmm. <laughs> like maybe I wasn't the best but like I was very good and people knew me as that you know like yeah go back to your hometown your family it's like how's hockey that's like the first question you know everyone knows oh Mel she's the hockey player so mm-hmm. then when you lose that you lose a big part of yourself and I think then we're really hard on ourselves to be like well mm-hmm. I need to build this other identity and then this is where we fill this void mm-hmm. with just things so mm-hmm. I guess just for like the sake of time, Cass, and we're, we're honestly, we're definitely going to have to have you back on. And, you know, <laughs> if Max didn't come, would be awesome because it would be yeah. nice to know how it all started. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Can, like, what is your advice to, I guess, athletes who are about to enter that transition? And, you know, obviously we would like you to plug how they might be able to find you guys in that maze. Yeah. But if they can't access you, like, I guess, what are maybe three things they should start thinking about or, like, preparing for this transition? If, yeah. if you can put, like, a number, like, or, yeah. like, actionable item. Yeah, actionable <laughs> item. Yeah. I mean, first thing I'd tell them, go follow our, our Facebook page. Um, so La Maison des Champions on Facebook. Um, we have a lot of stuff that we, we post there, um, you know. And uh, so that would be the first thing. The second thing I would say is that a transition, whether you're, you are excited about it or you are really scared about it, um, it requires some time, you know, like you said before, like we learned to climb a mountain, but, you know, going back down the mountain, first of all, is not a negative thing. And second of all, you need to be very agile to do this. And so whether or not you are scared or about it, like you should take the time to prepare it. And not just because, you know, you want to be feeling good emotionally, but also like you spent most of your life doing that so how can you actually translate that into your next part of your life right so taking a step back is just gonna make the next few years the next years for you even better right so whether you do it within the group and you do it with us like you should still take a step back for you was you know going on that bike ride so i would i would encourage people to start asking themselves questions like how do i want to go through that change um do I want to go through it alone or with people um and then I would just say like don't be afraid to to ask for help sometimes it's just one conversation that allows you to to feel like you're not alone like for me realizing that there were other people asking these same questions like I was like oh I'm not weird <laughs> other people have these questions right <laughs> so, so don't be afraid to to ask for help and you'll see there's there are a lot of people that are asking these these same questions so subscribe to our podcast rate and review it on apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, and balado quebec you could also find a recording of most of our interviews on youtube Yes, that is true. And you know what? You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Away From The Play and on Twitter at Mel underscore and underscore Safs. You can also follow us individually on Twitter at Safs underscore on the go and for myself at Mel The Rock. Special thanks to Matsu Brutus for the music and Naimalu for our logo. Give them both a follow on Instagram. We can't wait to see you next week.